0: Do you have a copy of God's word? Could you take it in turn to Luke chapter nineteen? Luke chapter nineteen. And as you are turning and as we prepare to dig into God's word this morning, a couple of things I would like for you to think about, a couple of questions I'd like to ask. The first question is this what, what makes you celebrate? What for you causes or warrants the celebration? And the second question I'd like to ask you is this. What breaks your heart? On the other end of the spectrum. What is it that breaks your heart? What is it that you celebrate and what is it that breaks your heart? Today we're going to look at back-to-back stories where Jesus is the main character. And in, in one, we will see a celebration. And in the very next story... We'll see a broken heart. I want us first to see where Jesus is celebrated. So, you have your Bibles there, Luke chapter nineteen. Let's look at verse twenty-eight. Luke nineteen, verse twenty-eight. So, when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew, drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you. Whereon entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near. Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd Said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The celebration of Jesus, just the sheer knowledge of Jesus is impressive. So he knows, he knows that there is a cult, he knows. Where the colt is, he knows that it's never been ridden. He knows the right words to say to acquire the colt. He knows. But then all of the scripture is telling us how much he knows. Matthew chapter 12, it says that he knows the thoughts of men. In John chapter 2, it says he he knew what was inside of people. In John chapter 6, it says Jesus knew from the beginning who those were, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus knows. He's clearly in command of the situation. I mean, he's telling his disciples go there and do this, they do it. This scene, this picture of Jesus coming into Jerusalem in this triumphant way, this would have been very, very similar to to how other kings visited, especially their capitals or some of the big cities that they they would come in. There would be this, you know, a, a, a horse generally and kind of this parade into town. And often the, the dignitaries in town would come out, the, the important people in town would come out and they would meet, they'd meet that honored guest. This is the way if a general went off to battle and conquered, he would come back often to this kind of thing where there would be praises. And again, the, the important people in town would go outside the gates and meet and kind of welcome and invite the king, invite the conquering general into town. This is the picture. This story makes me want to get in the mind of Jesus. Of course, I'll never know. This is the mind of God we're talking about. But it does make me want to get in and go, okay, Jesus, what are you thinking and what are you claiming when you draft this cult that has never been written into your service? Why this is so interesting to me is There's so many places if you read Matthew and you read Mark and you read Luke and you read John, if you read those places in the Bible, regularly Jesus, when there seems to be this, like this great recognition of him, often he'll withdraw, often he will will somehow just almost seem to vanish, but here he doesn't. What's different about this one? I mean, often when, when he heals someone, and he does this regularly in the Gospels, when he heals someone, he will tell them he'll put a gag order on him, won't he? He say, "Don't tell anybody." And often they couldn't help themselves; they had to go tell somebody. But often he would do that. He would say, "Don't don't go tell anybody," because my time has not yet come. Often he would want no publicity, but now but now something has changed. He's orchestrated it. The scene has changed. There's a big crowd around him, and we see a celebration unlike any other for Jesus. He's clearly at the center of this. What has changed? Why go public now? Well, if you read Luke 1 to 18, by the time you come to chapter 19, you realize Jesus has already made sure that the people heard him, that he knew he was the king. He ruled over all. By the time you get to this place in the story of the life of Jesus, he has spoken authoritatively and everybody knows he believes he's speaking for God. He is speaking in an authority, authoritative way, claiming to speak for God. But now he won't just be prophet and king, he will also be the priest. And for that, it begins to go public. When he goes to Jerusalem to be the priest, when he goes to Jerusalem, he will be the sacrifice that will atone for the sins of mankind. And that will not be done privately. When he goes to Jerusalem, he will stand in as a substitute for sinners. He will be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's this picture. In one way, Jesus is the priest. He's the great high priest who is offering the sacrifice. But in another way, he is the sacrifice. He is the one who became the sin offering for us, the one who knew no sin, so that we might be made righteous in him. Jesus will not go to Jerusalem only to be assassinated in some dark alley in a corner somewhere where nobody pays attention. He will go in very publicly to Jerusalem. He will teach every single day in the temple courts so that all will know exactly that he's claiming to be prophet and he's claiming to be priest, he's claiming to be king. His work will be highly public and unmistakable and the whole Jewish nation will be meant to put their eyes on him. And it's interesting the timing. Again, he's orchestrated this. The timing of this particular entry into Jerusalem. Do you know what feast they were getting ready to celebrate? The feast of Passover. So you can imagine Jesus wasn't the only one headed to Jerusalem at this time. So people are going to Jerusalem with this on their mind, Passover, that at one point in time, God had saved the people of Israel and rescued them and judged their enemies. And he had done so because blood had been shed by an innocent animal. So in their mind of everybody approaching Jerusalem is rescue and deliverance has come from God because blood was shed. And this is the message Jesus is making so clear. They will not be able, the people in Jerusalem are not going to be able to bypass Jesus. He's going to go in publicly. We sing songs like, behold, I mean the word means look, behold the man on the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Look at it. He's not hiding or see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love mingled as it flows down. This will not be, this will not be hidden. Jesus goes very, very public. I believe with all my heart that is, Jesus orchestrated this whole scene. He had a piece of scripture in his mind. So maybe we forget Jesus really, really knew the Bible well. He really knew the first 39 books of our Bible, the Old Testament, really, really well. And so I think on his mind that day was Zechariah 9.9, 9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's righteous. He has salvation. He's humble. He's mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Your king's coming. He's coming to you. Don't miss it. It's unmistakable. It's public. So we don't know... 100% 100% of what was going through Jesus' mind, but I'm positive this scripture was as he enters into Jerusalem. But what, what must have been going on in the mind of the crowd at this scene of celebration? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record what we call now the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday. They all record it. And they all record this sentence being said by those that were present that day, by the multitude, the crowd, the followers of Jesus. And the words were this, they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So just so you know, they're not making that up. So when when they say that, when the whole crowd begins to say it, I think actually they might be singing it because it comes from Psalm 118. And if you know, the Psalms are the the songbook. This is what the Hebrews would sing. And so interesting the day that Jesus comes to save, comes to rescue, they recognize and they pull from this psalm, and maybe they're all singing it, I don't know, or maybe they're all shouting it, blessed is the one, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So it made me want to go, okay, if they're all quoting this psalm, what does this psalm say? What else does it say? What's the context of this psalm? And so Psalm 118, and and I'll just read a few verses of it. So imagine Jesus descending the Mount of Olives, going to the gate of Jerusalem. And here we hear the Psalm 118, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, and so the righteous shall enter it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. And then this certainly would characterize the ministry of Jesus, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and this is the Lord's doing. It's not a mistake. It's not a horrible accident. It's the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he, and here it is, blessed is he, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. You see why they're singing that song? Why that is what all the crowd is saying. And and then we read in verse 27, the Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. And then this is an interesting verse in verse 27. They say, bind the festal sacrifice. So bind the, the sacrifice for the feast. Bind him to the altar because you're my God and I'll give thanks to you. You're my God. I will extol you. So they go and they, they grab this psalm, and they begin singing it and saying it, and it begins to be an echo. Blessed is the king who comes. He's coming. So if you read a couple chapters over, the response to Jesus in Jerusalem will be awful. But on this day, it was right. On this day, it all was right. On this day, it was right that he be recognized. This was the appropriate response to Jesus. It was right for them to enjoy him being the king. It was right for the people. This was not a day, not a day to hold back. Do you you see? Even when, even when the Pharisees come to Jesus at at the, the last portion of the verses I read and said, "Jesus, you need to tell your disciples to just be quiet, rebuke them." I mean, of all the gall, the Pharisees are telling Jesus what to do. They're giving him orders. And he says, no, 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 on this day, on this day, if they were to shut up, the rocks would cry out. This is a day where, where I will be praised. I will be recognized as King. And what they were doing was right. It was right that every human being should praise Jesus. It was right that everyone should sing to Jesus. It was right on that day that, that everyone should make a big deal of Jesus. I have, I have zero patience. I have zero time for how much our culture glorifies and magnifies celebrities and you watch how just because someone can play a sport really well or sing really well or act really well or just be a reality tv star really well whatever that means we 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 recognize them we want to know all about their lives and in essence we we sometimes realize it doesn't matter I shouldn't care about them. It has no bearing on my life, but this is, this is not that. This is not that. When the king comes to town, when Jesus comes in this way, all eyes should have been on him. They're totally right in saying, blessed is the king. Totally right in enjoying that moment. At the beginning, I ask you to think about what What do you celebrate? What? What? What is it? I know in our family we'll celebrate birthdays because people matter to us and it's a way of marking off a, a special day to us. Celebrate anniversaries. Again, people matter to us. The family will celebrate holidays and whether it be, you know, religious in nature or whether it be uh, something about our country, we'll celebrate those days and recognize those days. Oh, there's a, there's a ton of other things we celebrate, right? We, we do celebrate sports and we, we do celebrate uh, wonderful art being made. We do celebrate a person being born. We do celebrate when someone's been away for a long time and they've come home. We do celebrate someone getting engaged. We, we do celebrate someone getting married. We celebrate someone's heroic act, someone being brave. We celebrate that. We celebrate when someone has this achievement academically. We, we, we recognize that. We say this is important. All of these promote scenes of celebration. I just want to pause one moment when we have just read of the king of the universe being celebrated. Do we, do we have any place in our life? Is there any place we could go to in the last seven days, the last four weeks, the last 12 months where we could say, I regularly celebrate the king? Maybe you're more introverted in personality and you say, I'm actually not one to really, you know, kind of hype up. You're not going to find me out on the the sidewalk singing a song to Jesus. Ah, It's just not not my style. Others may, not me. Fair enough. Fair enough. But is there any time where your heart's so moved, where you, you really don't even know the words to say how grateful you are that the king of the universe knows your name? that the king of the universe has come for you, that the king of the world has saved you. Is there any time where you find yourself, okay, maybe it's not in public, but in private, or, or maybe it's in, in your car where you find yourself worshiping the Lord? Is there any time even where your posture reflects that where maybe hands go up or you're, you, you get on your knees before the Lord and say, I, I, I don't know what to do with amazing love like this? But I think somewhere the needle of our heart ought to move to celebrate who Jesus is. This is God in flesh, come for us. This is God made real that we would not be distant from him, but that we would be close to him. Do we recognize this? Do we celebrate? Do we acknowledge that he's our king? And the fact that he's the king, sometimes we have to remind ourselves of what that means because Him being the king is kind of of the 100% variety. It's not as if we go through a buffet line and we get to pick some aspects of him being king that we like. Some we could eh, do without. So we like that he is the protector king. And we love that he's the provider king. But when it comes to actually the allegiance that we should have, the devotion to the king, when it comes to actually, well, if he is the king, it means we do what he says Nah, not so much. I think I'll just take the protector-provider kind of king. But actually, we don't get to do that. We don't get to pick and choose. I think this crowd had a tidal wave of hope kind of flooding on there. Undoubtedly, they, they, were, they were doing the right thing. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They were doing the right thing, and likely they didn't even know half of what was going to happen. I I wonder if their celebration might have been different if they knew the events of the next week. It's likely it would have been. But God has come to save. And what king do you really want? I know the king you need. And he's come. And he's ready to save. It's interesting. Some aren't so sure about this celebration. Remember the Pharisees go... Let's kind of, let's not create too big of a stir here. Let's kind of bring this down a little bit as we go into Jerusalem. This introduces an element by, this time as we've walked through the life of Jesus, we're not surprised. We go from this amazing high of the celebration of Jesus to actually a heartbreaking scene. Do you have your Bibles still open? Luke chapter 19 and verse 41, this is the heartbreak. I mean, this must have been an odd thing to watch if you were in the crowd that day. Everybody's just been praising Jesus. The Pharisees have kind of gone back and forth with him, but then as he draws near, he hasn't even entered it in verse 41, but as he sees it, he weeps. That's actually a mild translation. A word just adequately translating that would be, he sobbed. And he says... Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that made for peace. They're hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you, and and he he makes a prophecy which which happened, this very thing happened in 70 AD. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they won't leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know, you did not know the time of your visitation. I mean, it, it is such a, an odd scene where we go from celebration, the highest of highs to the deepest of lows as Jesus sobs because of what's going on, because there are many worshiping, but plenty will not. Many are welcoming Jesus, but some will refuse him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. The leaders, the establishment, the, the temple personnel, the experts in the law, the ones who should be shepherding the people of Israel would be the ones that say, No, thank you, Jesus, stay out. We don't have time for you. And he weeps. The tears of Jesus. This is not a moment of weakness, not a moment of just our regret that bless is already just not powerful enough to do anything about it. This is Jesus weeping, and I I like to picture myself in the crowd, you know, going, blessed is the king, blessed is the king. What's a little bit more difficult for me to picture is, what if I'm the one in Jerusalem that he looks over and he weeps because he knows there I am? And what if if I'm the one that will be cruel to Jesus? What if I'm the liar? What if I'm the one that would be self-righteous or stubborn? What if I'm the one that would cause the suffering of Jesus? be instrumental in the crucifixion? What if he saw my face and knew I would be in those next few days putting distance between me and the Father? He mentions his desire here that they would have pursued the things that made for peace. This is like the whole book of Luke's about this, about God wanting to bring peace to this world. Even when Jesus is born, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. This is the whole Desire of God is to bring peace the prince of peace to this world these were words regularly on the mouth of Jesus rest and peace and hope and salvation Isaiah will say he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement the punishment that would bring us peace and if they would have put their faith in him submitted to him recognized him as the Messiah of Israel the savior of the world they would have known that peace in just a little over a generation, that peace will be long gone and Jerusalem will be flattened just like Jesus said it would. It's an interesting question. What could break the heart of Jesus? What could break the heart of Jesus? It's the city that he loved, the people that he identified with, the opportunity they had to receive him. I, I would think Some in that city were just hell-bent rebels that had no time for God. But I would imagine there were others in in that city and Jesus would have known. There's some in that city that would have been inoculated. I mean, they would have been to synagogue. They would have known all about Moses, just like you know a lot about the Bible. You know a lot about church. Just enough to like make you think you're okay. But never really any encounter with Jesus. Some certainly had to be in that group. Another Passover will come, another time, another teacher, another rabbi. Could you imagine there were some that would be in that temple that week? That would walk by Jesus as he was teaching, as he was telling them that he had come from the Father, and they would they just would be too distracted much like you might be. You got things on your mind. You got things on your mind today. Jesus has come in power. But there is that, like, ah, you're working toward retirement, and there is the 401k, and there is the kids' soccer, and there is the this, and there's the chores, and the car, and I got to get the house thing, and the this, and the that, and it goes on and on and on, and... Could it be that Jesus walked right by the people and they were totally distracted and Jesus didn't seem to figure into any of their relationship issues or, you know, the things that really mattered that day to them? I wonder. Jesus uses this term. They don't have a full appreciation and what he says is the time of visitation. What does that mean? What does that even mean? What does it mean when God visits? I can tell you what it means In many places in scripture, it means that it either comes in wrath or mercy or both. He comes to judge, he comes to save, and sometimes that is simultaneously. So the time of visitation, when God has drawn close, a a special season of visitation, when it becomes clear that God had come close, and that's exactly what was going to happen for Jerusalem. God himself was coming close, and they missed their time. And this is what This is what burdens my heart this morning is that you not miss your time if God is drawing close to you. Because there are those those seasons where God is kind enough to open your eyes and your heart's just stirred. God may have brought you to this church. I mean, God may have brought you to this country to give you a hearing about this man named Jesus. And so here you are, and maybe even at this time your heart's been stirred and you're asking questions and it seems like your conscience is unusually sensitive and things that never bothered you are actually bothering you. And there's questions that you never used to be interested, but today you're interested in. And what is that? I, I would have to say, I think that's God visiting you. It, it may seem that, that there's just a step right now between you and God, between you and salvation. What do you do? What do you do in this moment? What you don't do is close your heart. What you do is you turn to the Lord, you trust him, you ask, you seek, you knock, you run to him, you don't miss it, you don't miss it. I don't know that we're promised another visitation from the Lord. I can't make that promise to any of you. But if the Lord is working, call on him this morning. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. See him for who he is. And and you may say, Curtis, I don't even have any of this Christianity stuff figured out. I I don't know. And I've made a mess of my life and I don't know. Why don't you just take the first couple steps that you know you can take? Maybe that's talking to the friend that brought you. Maybe that's talking to a pastor afterwards. Why don't you take one step? Because if God's visiting you, this is not the time to just kind of turn it off and walk out of the room. It's not the time for that. I have to explain something that's going to happen in just a moment. What Christians have done for many years is there's been a, a special way we declare our allegiance to Jesus, our trust in Him. And it's not one we made up, it's one that the Lord gave us. The way we do it at our church is we will pass trays. And we'll have a symbol and it'll be bread. It'll be like a cracker and it'll be broken to remind us that the Lord's body was broken for us. And we'll pass trays around with cups of juice and that will remind us that it was the Lord's blood that was shed for us. And we'll take it together and we'll remind ourselves of the grief of the Lord, that it was our sin that put him on the cross. But we will also remind ourselves of the celebration. Blessed is the one who came in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king. He's not suffering. He is reigning for all those who have trusted in Jesus. Those who have repented of their sin. Those who aren't harboring secret, unconfessed sin but are putting it all out there saying, Lord, forgive me. I invite you. And that tray is passed. You take that. Take it with our church family. If that is not you, Hey, Curtis, I, I don't know what I believe in. I'm not sure what I'm trusting in, but it's not, I'm, I'm not there yet. Then it won't be a problem. You feel free to pass the tray. But I would ask you, I would ask you to consider, is this the day where God visits you? Maybe you were well, not even expecting it, but God has like done something in your heart that made you alive. Maybe today is where you say some of those first words to Jesus. Words that I know he'd love to hear. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've rebelled. I know I don't deserve to be accepted by you. I know I'm guilty and I need forgiveness. Maybe today's the day where the Lord has visited you and you say, thank you. I believe you sent your son to die for me. I I don't have it all figured out. And I believe that he has risen from the dead to give me something new, a new life. Forgive me, change me. Maybe that's your starting point today. And if you pray, trust in Christ, tell someone about it, tell someone about it.